This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas. Ice House is blaring on the stereo. It's humid and dangerous. And a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, Dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins. It's another week of true crime goodness over here and I'm Paul Verhoeven. That's John Verhoeven. And dad, we are still kind of reeling from the news that finally after, what, a year and a half, we get to be back on stage again together. Paul, Mm. I'm beyond excited. (laughs) What do you you miss the most about doing the live shows? Um, Well, that's uh, well, I, the people, the vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, shitting my pants in the green room. Great. I always yeah. carry a spare pair of underpants. Of course. Yeah. Um, although I could go freeballing. Please don't. I won't. Okay. I'm no, excited listen- about the live show. Yeah. So the live show is on, it's on the 31st of July. So that's, how long is that? From about now? five weeks. About five weeks until mm. we get back on stage together and... It's going to be at 9pm at the Jam Factory uh, as part of the Melbourne Podcast Festival. So tickets are on sale right now. So all you need to do is head across to our Facebook page uh, at the discussion group. So yeah, the Loose Units discussion group on Facebook. Mm. And Dad, you and I are going to be posting links on Instagram to you know to the tickets and stuff. Awesome, but- awesome. So Paul, obviously there are people that are not on Facebook. And mm-hmm. I, I, I know one person that's just not on Facebook. Can you guess yeah. who that is? Uh, no. It's me. Oh, of course you're not on Facebook. Yeah, of course. Because, um, yeah, it's probably a good thing. But yeah, if you don't have Facebook, if you aren't part of the official Loose Units discussion group on Facebook, first of all, you're missing out because it's awesome. Secondly, all you have to do to get tickets to the our show at the Melbourne Podcast Festival 
is go to melbournepodcastfestival.com. Now, the episode will be recorded, which basically means that you'll get to be a part of the show. So you listen to the show, you subscribe, but you'll actually hear yourself in the audience. So tickets are already starting to sell out pretty fast, Dad, um, but there are some tickets left and it's not... Look, it's a nice chunky room, but it is filling up surprisingly fast. I don't know. I feel like maybe you're going to win this bet, honestly. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> there are no prizes for second poll. No, there's not. Um, but so, the yeah. but if again, just as outlined in the show, mm. if we sell out within the week, so I'd say that's a week from today. So mm. if we sell out within the week, yep, I have to give you a turntable because you've wanted a turntable for a long time. Mm. Yes, I-, I love turntables. Yes, if I am correct, and it takes us a month to sell out, then you are giving me some of your amazing Japanese whiskey collection. I'll let you taste one of my. Quaffing whiskies. Sure, but while you're not looking, I'll take the bottle. Mm. So that's... No, you eh, won't. No, well, because they're locked away in a special secret yeah, location. But you have to get it out to give me some. Mm, true. Paul, yep. the, the, the vibe on that night is going to be electrifying. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be... And it's going to be... We're going to tell stories that we haven't told before. Yeah, I know. There's going to be some fresh stuff up there. And things that... I mean, look, we've done live shows before and we've done... You know, you tell stories on the live shows that you don't tell on the show for good reason. And finally, for the first time ever, they're going to be recorded and put down onto the podcast feed. So if you want to be there in the audience and if you want to meet us afterwards, we'll sign stuff. Uh, we're selling copies of Electric Blue. I'll even and, hug, uh, I'll hug people. Yeah, you don't want to set that precedent, Dad, because you're going to be really busy. Uh, the problem with Dad at the Q&As is that he tends to spend an inordinate amount of time with each person. So you queue for ages, but at the same time, you also then just get a proper conversation with with Dad Mm, and I. So mm. that should be fun. So make sure you grab your tickets at the Facebook page or go across to melbournepodcastfestival.com. Get your tickets to our live show. It's the first live show we've done in a year and a half. So there's a a chance that, Mm. you know, something's going to slip out because we're out of Mm. practice. So, But Paul... Mm. Can I also touch on a relatively serious topic, but something very, very succinct to the two of us being on stage that night? Absolutely. And that is this, dear listeners. We all are familiar with the term censorship. The media, it's it's everything. I mean, I was on that show, Celebrity Apprentice. 97% of the material Mm -hmm. ended up on the editing floor. A euphemism for... They canned it. Now, and we also all know that during... When you hear interviews on the news, for example, mm-hmm. and it's, 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 it's very, very disturbing, and we should all be very concerned about this, and that is that censorship is not cool. Okay? So the good thing about getting to hear the two of us live on stage is that it's raw and unedited. Would you agree? Yes, and I know that that might cause you a minor degree of trepidation and trauma. Well, there might be some stuff that I actually do edit out of that show. But again, as, as is the case with our live shows all the time, if you're there in person, you get the full shotgun to the face, uncensored, unvarnished version of the show. Not only that, but there'll be stuff before and after we record where we'll just be kind of riffing on stage, warming up. Hmm. You know, there's just so much more that you actually get if you rock up on stage. Now, for mm, people mm. saying, are you doing shows in other, other states? Well, this is our first live show in a year and a half. Uh, lockdown has basically cancelled multiple attempts of ours to get on stage. So we've got 
We, for a year and a half, we've been bottling up all this amazing stuff. So if you want to catch the whole show, please come along. Tickets are selling out very fast. And yes, we are going to try to continue our kind of tour around Australia. We keep, look, we, Dad, we both really want to get across to Tasmania. We want to do New Zealand. Western Australia. We, yep. Want to get to WA. Want to get New back York. to, back to Brizzy. New York. Oh, my God. London. Amazing. Yep. Paris. Mm-hmm. Uzbekistan. Amalakalit in northern sure. Alaska. Sure. These are just a few places that I'd, you know. There's a small town in Alaska that has, I think, the last blockbuster video in the world. Um, I think locals are trying to keep it open. If it's, I mean, I would love to go and do a show in a blockbuster video. I used to work in a video store when I was in my teens. You remember that? That was mm. my... I do. used to used to bring home uh, videos for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you didn't pay for them. Ixnay on the... In A for pay... <laughs> Anyway, Dad, we got, we got to get onto the episode. We We've do, been kind we do, of we do. Waffling about this live show enough. I don't think it, we have a waffle. Oh, come on. That's half of our brand. True. My concern is that people are going to be sitting here going, yeah, look, Paul and John, we'd love to come to the live show, but what kind of stories will they be telling? Well, wait no longer because this week on Loose Units Origins, we're looking at chapter 35. Jeez, we're making some progress, aren't we? I think we're three quarters of the way through the book. And I would say the chunkiest cases are just approaching us now. So... Chapter 35 is called How to Succeed in Hitchhiking Without Really Trying. So, it begins with something we've covered before, and that is the method that you and Julian and many police use, and that's fishing, where you basically drive around slowly, hit the siren, and see if anyone runs. Now, we're not going to kind of delve too deep into that, but I'd like to just kind of drag you back to one, just hypothetical. Do you think guilty people run do you think if you run from the cops you have done something bad or do you think it's way more complex than that look um i fairly regularly in sydney um in fact yesterday i was driving home uh and it was on the cusp of darkness Mm -hmm. yesterday afternoon there was a police car that was behind me for probably five kilometers and there weren't many cars on the road. I I just get this feeling that, shit, am I doing something wrong? Um, and it just makes one more attentive and sort of more aware of one's own driving practices. Sure. And then, of course, what even... And, and look, I was a police officer. So I'm just kind of curious as to what people that weren't in the police force think when there's a police car behind them. Um, I think there's, there's at least with me, and I know that it's kind of an irrational part of my brain, but I guess I always sort of tighten up my driving, become a little bit more alert. Um, obviously, if the phone rings, even though I've got Bluetooth, I probably won't react to that. Um, and I just like to keep... I just don't want any dramas. And then, of course, the reality, generally speaking, 99.9% of the time, no matter what country you're in, is that they, the police, have no interest in you. They're out on patrol. They may have just gone out and got some food. They may have gone and done some some inquiries. And inevitably, they may well just be heading back to the station and totally oblivious, although good police are always aware. And I think... The type of vehicle that I drive generally tends to make certain police focus on that type of vehicle for historic reasons um, because a lot of tradesmen drive that type of vehicle and a lot of tradesmen, and I'm generalising now, 
do perhaps like to have a bit of a drink at a pub after work uh-huh. and then and then hit the road and you know there's a chance greater than normal that they may well um, be above the limit in terms of alcohol in their blood okay so these things sort of yeah they they go through one's mind but Paul in this particular story um, what we used to do at obviously it was generally nighttime um, we'd be driving along in this particular case military road Mossman a very salubrious suburb which is kind of the gateway to the northern beaches mm-hmm. we would activate the blue light on top of the police car yeah and generally speaking I guess the assumption with fishing and we've covered this before is that if someone's doing something wrong and is trying to remain inconspicuous and they see the light then they might go ah oh, shit and they might run and Correct. that's kind of that that's been the kind of focal point of you know quite a few chapters of this book, mm. uh, and it seems like a pretty reliable method. Mm. Now, is it possible that is it possible that by scaring someone who's done something very minor or maybe thinks they've done something minor, you will then scare them into doing something which will be illegal, and therefore you will have kind of entrap them a little bit it's a good point paul I, i'm quite sure mm-hmm. that on the official police um you know response and and sort of training particularly in the 21st century that we are now in uh-huh. my gut feeling is at least in new south wales on the balance of probabilities that method that we employed back in the 80s um would not be used today however if it was used under the same circumstances you'd definitely get some very exciting results i don't believe that anyone who had just a minor like a tail light not working or you know imagine if you were stoned so your sense of paranoia is heightened yeah i don't know whether that would be enough to trigger a like a, a flight response okay okay but it's not like, I guess what you might kind of get is somebody who's a little bit over the limit or... Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but I mean, in this chapter, and I'll, I'll read an excerpt here just to kind of ramp us in. In this chapter, to use the fishing metaphor, I think you caught a very big one. So let me read this. Here we go. A sudden roar of rubber and metal as a white Falcon 500 flew past them. They'd landed a big one too. For a brief moment, John saw a bearded, heavily tattooed man in the driver's seat angrily gunning it down the road. They gave chase. As they reached Mossman, the Falcon began to do what many wily criminals do. It attempted to burrow into side street after side street to try to throw John and Julian off its tail. Julian had no problem keeping up, but John, who was calling the chase down the radio street by street to keep the station apprised of their location, began to struggle. Now, look, Dad, I'm not very good with... um, I'm not even sure if people use them anymore. Like a Melways? What's the Sydney equivalent of a Melways? It's a... Um... It was the Gregory Street Directory or the UBD. They were the two, um, you know, books. They were, they were a they were a, a proper hardcover or softcover book, which was made up of probably maybe 250 pages of maps. Yeah, really dense, dense and, maps, right? And you really... Now... If you pull over on the side of the road, and a lot of people hopefully will remember or have used a, a street directory, we don't use street directories today. Mm. We, we, we are pretty well all 
um, sort of keyed into our our maps through our our phones, yes. which which give you and and they'll talk to you as well. I was in an Uber two nights ago, and you know you don't need to know how to get to your destination if some sort of automatic computerized computer generated synthesized human voice mm. is telling you when to turn right when it's it's just and i kind of it's very very good it's it's fantastic for emergency services if you're driving a fire engine an ambulance or a police car and you've got to get to a particular location very very quickly Let's just go back to what it was like in the 1980s. The observer, who was the senior person on on this particular night, it was me. My role is to is to know where we are. And and if you are calling a chase, what I'm doing while Julian is driving at breakneck speed, trying to catch up to these people who, for some reason, have have absolutely bolted. Do you remember the? Um, do you have a kind of recollection of the vibe of the car as it pulled away? I mean, did you know, did you think it was just another kind of regular kind of? No, I mean, wh- no, no, no. This this was this was big time. This was just a one in a million. It was a fluke. Okay. Um, it, we were in the right place at the right time. We had no idea what was about to to happen. Mm-hmm. And if we. If I could take you, Paul, <clears throat> to that suburb now, yeah, I could pop you in my ute, and I could recreate to within meters the entire chase. I remember that chase. I remember where we were when we activated the the lights. Mm-hmm. I remember where they were. I remember the direction we were going in. I remember at high speed they then took off to the left and they the thing about Mossman listeners is that I mean we all live in towns and suburbs across the world and as most of us are aware most streets have got names however in Mossman and I'm not sure whether this is peculiar to this particular suburb Mm -hmm. but they have such a rabbit warren of laneways in Mossman, that they don't name the laneways. They simply have the letter M, which signifies Mossman, mm-hmm. with a number. So you are heading down Military Road, you turn left into a street with a name, and you're calling that. What you're doing is, as the observer, you are keeping VKG in constant contact with you because if the shit hits the fan and it turns into for example a signal one or you have a car crash or they crash they require intensive care ambulance um, they might be trapped you might be trapped you might be shot mm-hmm. you might not even get out of the car they they could you don't know what's going to happen you need backup so when you start to call a pursuit so you'll say 610, which was our call sign that night, 610 in pursuit. All of a sudden, everyone becomes very keyed into that particular event. And listeners, when I depress the microphone in a high-speed chase mm-hmm. and I'm talking, every single police officer listening on that channel can hear the revving of the car. They can hear 
the screeching. They can hear us going around corners at high speed, getting into a four-wheel drift. They hear, whilst the mic's depressed, everything. They might even hear me. They might hear Julian swearing. I mean, it's it's, it's the gamut of emotions in a high-pressure, high-stress situation so that every time I'm talking, it picks up all the ambient noise. And all the police within, say, let's say 15 to 20K radius, Mm -hmm. they're all, well, their adrenaline levels automatically rise. And anyone within a few kilometres knows that they need to get involved. Now, at this point, you don't know what these people have done. We have no idea. it's possible it's someone who's just, you know committed a traffic infraction but yes. it's also possible that it's someone who's done something much worse hmm. um at what point do you realize that okay so the real kind of quirk of this story is that because the streets um because the streets are numbered hmm. and because um this guy is leading you so far down these streets that you're having hmm. trouble keeping up correct at yep. what at what point do you realize you're lost mate <clears throat> i i began to i mean there, there's a there's a uh, there's a mass of emotions and and stuff that I'm trying to process. But one of the key things about being in this situation in a high-speed chase, being taken down the rabbit hole, it became very apparent that the driver, he was a very good driver, mm-hmm. um, but we began to realise that he had no idea where he was going. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we went into back alleys and laneways in Mossman that I'd never been in, ever. So I realized that, I mean, I knew I was in Mossman, but I began to think amongst all the other emotions and just trying to sort of hang on because you're being thrown around. I mean, you are seated, you're sort of in a seat with a seatbelt on. Yeah. But, you know, you're not in a racing harness. So, you know, you're being sort of thrust and I'm trying to figure out where we are. I realize the 
we're going into a part of the, the suburb that I was not familiar with, which is which is a really bad thing. As the senior man, that was um, a mistake that I had made in that I didn't know the entire suburb thoroughly, which you should. Um, and it was it was getting pretty hairy. And we could hear police cars on the radio sort of getting involved because VKG was opening up the channels because we were getting fairly close to 14 Division, which is uh, Manly because it's just on the other side of the spit bridge. Mm. So then the cars from Manly slowly start to make their way over, and which is the right thing to do because if we had have got back onto the main road, um, on the balance of probabilities, taking into consideration the direction they were going in prior to the chase, they were actually heading onto the northern beaches. So you could get the cars from Manly to start heading down towards the bridge. And the thing about the spit bridge, listeners, is that it has to... It can raise um, a section of the bridge to let boats go through. So if you really plan things well, what they could do is they could actually put the bridge up, which creates an impenetrable barrier for all cars travelling north. But these are all the sorts of things that you're thinking about whilst you're in... Oh, and here's a fun fact, listeners. I've got the street directory on my lap and I'm trying to read it. How's that? So it's kind of pretty stressful... We don't know what we're heading into, and then all of a sudden, we came into a dead end. And the car, like in a really good crime thriller, one of those great moments where it stops. It can't go any further. It's it's in a dead end in a really, really narrow laneway. And there's only one way a motor vehicle can get out of this situation, and that is to reverse and the car stopped, engine running, lights on, and then we began to realise that there were actually two occupants of the car. So it's two occupants that have evaded police on a... So it was night shift, so it was after 11pm. Mm-hmm. It was a weeknight. There is no one around. We have no backup. And then VKG are saying to to us, "What is your precise location?" And I was. And this fucked. is to be fair. This is before you, you're sitting in the car, ready to go and um, ready to get out. But yeah, but before that, before because things are, could potentially go very wrong at this. Oh, point. terrible! Well, one thing that they could have done is that they could have just put it into reverse. It was a yeah. high-powered motor car, and just come back at us. And basically rammed the front of the police car. Mm-hmm. And imagine, I'll tell you how narrow this laneway was and still is. We just had enough room to open up our doors, but not completely. Just enough so we could kind of slide out. That's how narrow this laneway was. Oh, God. So we've got this car in front of us, engine running, two blokes. We don't know whether they're armed. They're not moving. It's dark in this alleyway? Pitch black. There's no street lighting. Yeah, okay. We are on our own some. And I could hear in the distance police cars. Looking coming, for you. Looking for us, coming in. Yeah. But but how, how are they going to find us? So Julian stood by the police car. Mm-hmm. 
I ran. I sprinted. I don't think this is in the book, Paul. I ran to the end of the uh, the laneway. And thank God there was a, a, a name of an actual street. And I ran back to the police car. Mm-hmm. And I put the location over... Uh, you know, I gave them our precise location. So right. that, w- that was taken care of. Thank God. Because if anything was going to happen... And then we, uh, like in America, they've got loudspeakers mm-hmm. they can, where they can issue directions to driver and passenger in the car in front to, they can basically tell them to do all sorts of things, but not, we don't have that situation in Australia. You actually have to go up to the car. So uh, I'm not quite sure, Paul, ha- how it is in the book um, as to whether it was Julian who approached the driver or whether it was me that approached the driver. Um, but one of us, I think it was me approached the driver. I think Julian approached the the, the passenger. Mm-hmm. Now, the adrenaline's pumping. I remember Julian basically dragging the passenger out of the front of the car and thrusting him with some force up against um, the back of a property. There was a corrugated fence and it made a hell of a racket. And I'm sort of focused on the driver who was just sitting there motionless looking straight ahead. And I began to realise that this particular guy, the driver, was a was a a full-on heavy crim. Like, we're talking creepy. Because he, by the way, he didn't react or reacted to me. It indicated zero fear. Mm-hmm. And I thought, fuck, this is really heavy. and We need some backup really quickly. Now, as it turned out, um, and this is kind of so surreal what I'm about to say, but it turns out that this passenger was a hitchhiker back in the day when people hitchhiked all the time. So this passenger had gotten a ride. He didn't know this this guy. (laughs) Can you imagine? Now, I'll tell you now that normally you wouldn't believe this poor guy as he's being held up by Julian, who had a bit of a reputation in the police force. You know, he was he was a tough, tough man when he had to be. The driver of this motor vehicle, I leant down and asked him and said to this guy, you know, what's the story? Who is this guy? And he told me, thank God, that he was indeed a hitchhiker. And that was good enough for us. And Julian sort of brushed this guy down. The guy was clearly absolutely shitting his pants because imagine 15 minutes before he had been hitchhiking on military road this car pulls over picks him up they may they may well have been having a very you know jovial light-hearted conversation no dramas and all of a sudden you're a hitchhiker in a car that ends up in a pursuit and then you're trying to get home to wherever and then all of a sudden and this guy was travelling. He was motoring at breakneck speed. He was a really good driver. 
The poor old hitchhiker must be thinking to himself, and he was a guy, he was late teens, early 20s, and the hitchhiker would have... I mean, can you imagine being a hitchhiker then all of a sudden being in, being chased by the police? Oh, terrifying. Horrific. It would, it would turn you off hitchhiking. No, it's so terrible and it's scary and it's kind of weird and oh, you can only imagine. But we realised that we needed to basically get rid of this hitchhiker really quickly. Um, so Julian basically, as I said, pulled him sort of up and brushed him down and basically just said, look, fuck off. And that's all this guy needed. He just bolted into the darkness. Mm-hmm. So out there somewhere in possibly Sydney today is someone that that actually experienced that that situation. And, and it's pretty creepy, really. Imagine if the car had crashed. Imagine if it had flipped over. Imagine if there had been... Look, you just there are so many scenarios. So he kind of... He, he ran away and... Uh, and that, that was cool. Um, but we were still confronted with the, the driver. And by then, other police cars were rocking up, which was fantastic. You then begin to feel safe and comfortable. Mm. And we arrested the driver because we had multiple serious driving offences. We didn't know anything else about this particular guy. But I knew that he was... Nothing phased him. When they uh, cuffed him and took him back to Mossman Police Station, mm-hmm. Julian and I then had that opportunity, A, to uh, one of us would then drive that car back to the station. And when we... A, a cursory glance of the car revealed nothing much. But when we got back to Mossman Police Station and the offender who was at this stage it was only traffic matters Mm -hmm. um we then did a very very thorough search julian and i of the car yeah and concealed under the driver's seat were ninja star knives shurikens the actual real razor sharp and might i say Listeners, they are yeah. a prohibited weapon. Mm. If you get caught with these, you're fucked. You may as well have a, a hand grenade. They are really scary things. But then, Paul, we found a firearm, a pistol, with ammunition, concealed, which was so scary, because then we began to realise what could have happened, how that night could well have ended um, with with us being shot. So why do you think he didn't use those things? He, the, 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 for, for a multitude of reasons. Mm. A multitude of reasons. And um, it was just our lucky, our lucky night. Well, because in the version you told me, for the first time around, uh, you, the glove box was opened, in, like, on site. Mm. So... I'll read you the paragraph I've got here from the chapter based on what you told me what, three, four years ago mm. in a in a churros restaurant up in, I think, yep. um, Annandale. I remember, yeah. Yeah. Finally, as Julian read the driver his rights, John decided it was time to check the glove box. He knelt down, propping the car door open with one knee and gingerly pulled the handle. The glove box sprang open and out spilled ninja stars. And they weren't toy ones either. John touched the tip of one and drew blood. 
He looked further into the glove box. There were several knives of various lengths and a sinister-looking half-used roll of gaffer tape. Behind that, surgical gloves and a bundle of tools for doing B&Es. John stood bolt upright, shut the car door, and told Julian to cuff the guy, adding, and don't let him out of your sight. Um... And at this point, yes, in the chapter, at this point, then you do leave Julian alone with the suspect to run up. So I think in the version you told me, it was pretty light on details because maybe you hadn't remembered it properly or Mm, you were kind mm. of just going through some dot points. True, true. Um, But But I mean, both versions do have kind of pros and cons in terms of the danger posed to yourself and Julian. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, but also, Paul, um, I read the chapter this morning. Mm. And I was thinking, wow, is this like a two-chapter story? Because, And it's not because the next chapter has got nothing to do with this particular chapter. But mm. there, was a, there was the most extraordinary uh, set of events after the, this story that you haven't written about. Oh, do tell. Maybe you didn't tell me. Otherwise, I may have popped them in. I mean, mm. this is a really great story, Paul. So what happened was we also found... Um, a jar of molasses. We found a ball pain hammer. We found bolt cutters, um, glass cutters, which is interesting. The glass cutting thing. I'll explain that to you in a sec. What's the What's the molasses for? Oh, mate, you're gonna love this. Okay. Okay, I'm kind of, kind of giving something away in terms of how to commit a crime here. So. Just, oh, it's all, it's a world grown ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So this particular guy, he was a he was a a high end uh, professional thief, but he 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 was a he was a lone lone wolf, and he had everything in his in his kit to break into whatever he wanted to break into. But if he wanted to break into a factory and you need to break a window, he would get the glass cutter and he would cut a fairly decent square. Mm-hmm. Then he would pour molasses uh, over the newspaper. Then he would get the newspaper, like a broadsheet, and just stick it over the entire window. And then he would give it a bit of a tap. And the section that he'd actually cut would disengage from the rest of the window, but it would be attached to the molasses-coated newspaper, and he would simply peel the paper back, and hey presto, the glass he'd cut would come away. There was no noise, so he could effectively break into any premises. He only ever worked at night time. Okay. The surgical gloves were obviously, so he wouldn't leave fingerprints, he was a super pro, but he was also armed in case he got into any, you know, tight situations. So, so he was he was he was a good operator. But why ninja stars? That is so specific. Mm, I think that's just weird, and I never got to. No, that's so weird. It's weird, you know. But he that's may not- well have been a karate expert. I I I, I don't know. But well, look, he only ever worked at night time. He may have been. Who knows? He. He may have been kind of inspired by by ninja warriors. It, it, look, it's it's fascinating. But Paul, the part of this story that I don't think I've ever told you uh-huh. is that more than six months later, yeah, he was charged mm-hmm. with 
about 150 break and enters. <gasps> We're talking major. And it was in the district court up here in Darlinghurst, close to, yeah, close to where we are. So I had to go to the district court, which is a very traumatic experience. Actually, no, no. Actually, hold everything. It must have been, believe it or not, some years after. Okay. Isn't that amazing? Because okay. guess what? I worked at the Central Fingerprint Bureau. How good's that? Oh, so you went there during your time in forensics. Mm. Oh shit! And if you was... told me this, at the, if you told me this at the time, I would have no, threaded it through both books. I know, I know. It's just it's so fascinating because what happened was I was called in as a witness. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so heavy, and I was in the district court in front of a judge and jury in the most austere and formal environment you can possibly imagine, and very, very, um, what's a good word? Very intimidating. Yeah. Um, you know, based on hundreds of years of, you know, tradition. And the judge wears the, the, the beautiful robe. And, and look, it's it's very, it's full on. And it's it's quite scary to go into a witness box and, and give evidence in front of a jury and be cross-examined by some of the leading uh, defense counsel. And it was about, and he was in the witness box. He was in the, sorry, he was in the dock. So he'd been at Long Bay Jail and he was, he was a really heavy crim. And he'd been brought out of um, the jail to, to, to go into the dock to be heard in this trial that was going, it was about a week long, the trial. And I'm in the witness box and the most extraordinary thing happened. And I was asked a question by his counsel. And the question was, when is the first time that my client came to your notice? Now, the answer was, Paul, that... um, In fact, I think I've got things a little bit mixed up and, and apologies to you and the listeners. I must have been at forensics and then gone back into general duties, okay? Because what happened was, he said to me, when is the first time my client came to your notice? Now, he thought that I would say on the night of that particular event. Okay. But guess what? I had come across this particular person at my time in forensics. And how did that come about? I came across his details whilst I was investigating a certain crime where fingerprints had been left at the scene of a crime and I had identified them as being those of that person. However, in law, you cannot say to a jury, you can't ever indicate to a jury that this particular person has got prior convictions. Are you aware of that? No, I'm not. Because you can't taint the jury. So in law, you can never, ever, it's regarded, they'll, they'll, they'll throw the whole case out instantaneously because right. they'll go, this person is not going to get a fair trial because the jury will, will obviously go, well, hang on a sec, you're with me, aren't you, on this? Yeah. So I knew in my heart that the answer to that question was I had come across your client at the Central Fingerprint Bureau prior to the night of the arrest. But I couldn't say that, could I? 
because the jury would then know that he had been arrested for other things prior to this. Mm. And I said to the, I looked at the judge, this is one of the most extraordinary moments for me, and it's quite uncommon. And this caused such a shitstorm that day in the district court, where I looked at the judge and I said, Your Honour, I cannot answer that question on the grounds that it may incriminate the defendant. And the shit hit the fan. Because having uttered those words Mm. made the jury obviously think, shit, this is really, this is weird. So what they did, they, they got rid of the jury, they make them leave the court, they lock them up in a room, and then they get involved in legal argument. And, but the defense counsel for the, uh, for the guy that we'd arrested that night, he ripped into me. He was a very famous QC, and he literally ripped into me. And the judge admonished him and basically screamed at him and said, how dare you treat this constable? What that question you asked him, how on earth was he supposed to to answer it? How, how could he have answered it any other way? And, 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 and the judge went to bat for me. Right. And it was, it was full on, Paul. And I felt really, I was quite proud of myself standing up to this... Um, this very famous QC, mm. um, and I gave my evidence, and uh, eventually he was uh, he was jailed for about 150 breaking enters. But he was the guy driving that night who picked yes. up the hitchhiker. Isn't that amazing? So it all kind of came together. And but funnily enough, Paul, I remember looking at the defendant in the dock, and he bore no malice towards me. In fact, I think he even gave me a bit of a wry grin. Because it was right, a fairly right. weird story. Mm. So it's, it's very memorable and, and I'm so happy that you got to write about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I still don't know what the ninja stars are for, but, you know, maybe um, maybe he thought he was a ninja. Maybe this, maybe he was breaking in, kind of keeping things thematically on point. I'm not sure. But either way, that is a jam-packed, super weird episode of Loose Units this week. Um, again, we are so happy to be getting back on stage. We'll be telling more of these stories on the 31st of July, I believe. Yes, 31st of July at 9pm at the Melbourne Podcast Festival. You can get your tickets from our Facebook page, from our discussion page, or you can go to melbournepodcastfestival.com and buy your tickets there. They are selling out fast. If you want Dad to win this turntable from me and this stupid bet that I shouldn't have said yes to, then make sure you grab your tickets this week before they sell out. And remember, it's first in best dressed. So, yeah. Get your tickets now, melbournepodcastfestival.com. We'll be posting about it on our Instagram feeds for you so you can kind of check it out there. Otherwise, we'll see you at the end of the week for some loose ends. See you then. Bye. Cheerio. Bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 